Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. So what we've been looking at week after week is the fact that Paul is using a Roman soldier's army uh, armor as a metaphor to describe the gifts that God gives to us as Christians to protect us in the spiritual battle that we are in. And every one of us who are a believer in Jesus Christ are engaged in a spiritual battle, whether you know it or not. And the point of knowing, is, knowing it is that you can have victory. We've seen that he's given us a belt of truth, truth, that protects our core and prepares us for battle. It holds together the rest of the armor, and he's given us a breastplate of righteousness that protects our mind and our emotions, our heart and our will, so that we can be guided towards God. He's given us the shoes of the gospel that give us a firm foundation to stand on and the ability to move away from danger. He's given us faith as a shield that quenches all the fiery darts that our enemy is shooting at us from a distance. And he's given us salvation as a helmet that fits tightly on our head, that protects our mind from wavering into sin. And now we come to the gift of a sword. And he calls it the word of God. And if you are tired of being in the position of defending yourself against Satan and you're ready to go on the attack, today is for you. Because if you notice, all the other pieces of the armor that we have spoken of so far are all pieces that help protect us in defense. But now he's given us something to fight back with, a sword. And so we're going to get three ideas today, really simple, to get us some confidence so that we will use the sword that God has given us correctly. We're going to start with the purpose of a sword. Now, why would a soldier carry a sword? We've sort of looked into all the different pieces of armor and asked, why do we have this piece, whether it's the breastplate to protect the heart and the stomach or the shoes to help us be mobile and firm? Why does a soldier pick up a sword and carry a sword? And as I mentioned, all the other pieces are definitely for defense, but this piece is for offense. A soldier carried a sword for one reason. And that was to kill his enemy. That's why a soldier would pick up a sword. If all the soldier wanted to do was survive the battle, to not be scuffed, to mark, to, to survive the blows, he might put on the armor, the shoes, the, um, the shield, the breastplate, the helmet, and he could stand behind that shield and just wait for the war to be over. He could do that. But a soldier would grab a sword because he had in his mind an intent to take out the enemy. That's what his goal was. It is the sword of the Spirit, is what Paul tells us, that we are given as a Christian. The sword of the Spirit, meaning this, that it is not a sword of the flesh, that it is a spiritual sword. It is designed to kill what the Spirit of God wants to be killed. And you can look in different passages of Scripture to get clarity on this. I like to see Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 where he tells us that it's the Spirit of God that leads us into war against the deeds of the body or the sins of the body. See, this weapon, this sword, is designed to put to death sin in us. He wants to kill all of the things that deceive us and lie to us and trick us 
that lead us into sin and away from God. And he does this two ways, two forms. Now, we've talked over and over, week after week, about how Satan works. And he works in two ways. And he doesn't care which way that he deceives you. He just wants to work in one of these ways. He, he is either going to puff you up with pride and lead you into temptation, or he's going to beat you down with accusation and lead you into despair. He doesn't care which way you go. He just wants you either puffed up or torn down. And the sword of the Spirit kills both of those attacks. He kills, first of all, our temptation to leave. You see, Satan is constantly offering you alternative ways to satisfy your God-given desires. Every desire to sin starts with the seed of some holy God-given desire that Satan distorts and twists and manipulates. That's what he does. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 that the part of us that is putting off the old man, what you're doing is putting off desires that are deceived. You see, God gave us good desires, holy desires, desire to be in connection and fellowship with people, the desire to work and have satisfaction, the desire for joy and even pleasure. He gave us those desires. And what Satan does in his temptation is he offers you alternatives from God's satisfaction to those desires to manipulation of his satisfaction. Every desire you have, you can trace back to an origin of some godly desire that's getting distorted, lied to, and manipulated. And so every time you feel the desire to sin, the desire to leave God, the desire to walk away, pause and just take a moment and look, draw back and say, what am I really being tempted to do? What do I really want? And you'll find inside of that a godly desire most likely. Number two, not only is he tempting us to leave, this sword also destroys the accusations to quit. Satan doesn't just want to offer us alternatives that lead us away from God. He also wants to beat us down continually so bad that you end up giving up on God. You see, Satan doesn't just attack your mistakes. You have a mistake here, or a mistake there, you do something wrong. He doesn't just come after you and attack your mistakes. What he does is he attacks your acceptability with God in the midst of those mistakes. So he points out your sins, he lifts up all your flaws, he points out all the character defects that you don't like about yourself, and he puts them right in front of you. And he doesn't just say, look, you've made mistakes. What he says is, there is no way you could be accepted because of these mistakes. And he's beating us down constantly. And what we have is a sword that can kill both the temptation to leave and the accusation to quit. But that's why we carry a sword. But we've got to make sure we actually get the right sword. And so point number two is this. We've got to pick the right sword. You see, the Roman soldier had options. There were three or four or five main swords that they could pick from. There was a longer one that was about three feet long. There was actually a sword that required two hands to hold. It was so large. It was meant for big swings to try to get people to back up. But Paul didn't pick that sword for us to think about. He picked a different one. It's called the gladius. It's small, maybe 18 inches long. It's got a ball on the end of it that would be used to clobber people in the head and then be used to strike. It was deadly. That's why he picked this one. The other swords were meant to fend off people attacking you. The longer swords were meant to swing at people, and those oftentimes would injure but not oftentimes kill because it would chop and maybe hit a bone but not necessarily kill. This dagger, this gladius, 
18 inches long, was intended to go into somebody and come back out and kill them. Meant for hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now the soldier chose his sword, this sword, for two reasons. And the same two reasons apply to us with our sword. First of all, he would pick this sword because of its ability. As I mentioned, the gladius was designed to kill. In fact, at the tip of the gladius, they would oftentimes put different types of material that would be very rugged or rough so that it would rip things. They, at times even, as they got more advanced, would put corkscrews on the end of the metal so that as the sword would go in, it would ravage the inside of the enemy and as it would be pulled out, it would kill. And in fact, this sword caused warriors to tremble. If they knew that their enemy had this sword, they were afraid. They knew that they would die if they got hit by this sword. And that's what Paul wants us not to miss. That the word of God is not just some good idea. It's not just a decent philosophy. It's not just a, a concept or a truth that can kind of encourage us along. He's saying the word of God, this sword that we have, is so powerful it should cause, it does cause Satan to tremble. In fact, he knows that the moment you start swinging this sword and using this sword, he stands no chance. In fact, that's why he constantly lures us away from the Word of God. He's constantly luring us away from it because he knows that if you hold the Word of God and you know the Word of God and you use it, that it's deadly to him. So he chose this because of its ability. The Word of God has the power to destroy Satan's lies. Remember, the war is fought in our minds. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds and destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God so that we take every thought captive to be obedient to Christ. Now, did you catch all that? That was a lot. He said the weapon of our warfare, what's our weapon? The sword is designed to destroy the arguments and opinions that are lifted up against the knowledge of God. That what Satan is constantly doing is giving you arguments, logic, reason, that's faulty, but arguments. And then opinions that raise up our mind against the knowledge of God. And what he's saying is the word of God has the power to destroy those arguments. You see, when you're under attack, you've got to make sure that you are using the right sword. We're falling prey to Satan, whether it's temptation or accusation, because when those attacks come upon us, we're grabbing the wrong words. We're grabbing the wrong sword. And we don't have the word of God ready to stab at those things and destroy them. The soldier didn't just pick the sword because of its ability, but he also chose it because of its availability, meaning this. That the gladius was readily available. It was easy to use. It was small. It was compact. The soldier could travel with it. He could grab it quickly. And it didn't burden him like a heavy, long sword. It was easy to carry, quick to draw. And Paul does not want you to miss this. In fact, the point is really subtle, so you got to pay very close attention to make sure you understand this. He says, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Now, what he's talking about is Scripture. But when Paul and the other parts of the Bible want to speak about the, the Word of God as a whole, like the entire revealed Scripture, they would use the Greek word logos. You've probably heard preachers quote that before. The word logos, which means the completed writing or the whole will of God. 
But when Paul says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, he actually doesn't use the word logos there. He uses a different word. Now, he's not saying it's not Scripture, but he's saying something specific about it. He uses the word rema. And that word, particularly rema, uh, means a quick word, a small bite, a specific piece. So logos is the, the completed revealed will. The rema is the piece, the small segment. And what he's trying to get at is this, that we need to, when under attack, know the word of God so well that we can use the rema, pieces of it, that, it, that deal specifically with what we're being attacked with and stab back at it. See, I think what he's trying to tell us is the Bible, the Bible is not a sword. The Bible is a storehouse of thousands of swords. There's swords everywhere in here. They're all over the place. You're being attacked from all kinds of angles, from different arguments and different reasons and different opinions. And the Bible is like the armory for the military. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of swords inside of this. So just think, for instance, when you're under attack, you don't just say the Bible and all of a sudden you're all better, right? You've got to actually know the pieces of it. The best example for you to see this is our master, Jesus Remember, he's led out to the wilderness, tempted three times. And when he's tempted, whether it's, hey, if you're really the son of God, make this stone into bread. Or I'll give you all these kingdoms, Jesus, if you'll just bow down and worship me. Jesus doesn't generically say, the Bible says no, does he? He comes back specifically. When he is attacked, turn this stone into bread. Jesus says, man doesn't live on that. Man lives on the word of God. Specific verse. When he's shown all the kingdoms of the world and promised to give them to him. He says, all you got to do is worship me. Jesus doesn't just say, the Bible says no. What he says is, we're only supposed to worship God, him alone. He knows specifically. And when he says, hey, you should jump off this pinnacle of the temple because if God really loves you and you're really his son, he'll catch you. And Jesus instantly knows. Wait, 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 wait. I was always told from scripture, specifically the Rema. Do not tempt the Lord your God. You see, we've got to be good with this because Satan uses the Bible against us. He, in fact, quoted the Bible to Jesus to try to get Jesus to sin. Am I right? And so you can't just swing the Bible. You've got to actually know it. And that's what Paul's trying to see us, help us see. And so when we see the purpose of the sword to kill... The, uh, the picking of the sword, make sure we know each piece of it so well, then we'll begin to see the power of the sword. If you saw, out of all the swords laid out in front of the Roman soldier, the one with the big one with two handles, the, the three-foot one that's long, or the little uh, gladius that's 18 inches, you might think the bigger one is more powerful, right? Or maybe you'd think maybe the long three-foot one versus the 18-inch one would probably get more done. So, But he says, listen, this sword has incredible power, but it only has power in the hands of those who know how to use it. You see, there's two things that give this sword power. It starts with how it's used, the training. See, for the soldier, the Roman soldier, war was not an event that he dabbled in. For the Roman soldier, the moment he became a soldier, war was his lifestyle. For the rest of his life, until he was handed in retirement a copy of the gladius, a wooden sword to, uh, to give a mo monument to his retirement, that man was constantly thinking about war. He trained every day. 
In fact, they had training swords that they would practice with their sword every single day. Training prepares you for battle specifically. You'll be surprised, as I mentioned about that rema, that, that short burst of word, you'll be surprised how quickly the word of God will be recalled in your mind and pierces through the lies of, of Satan as you get into this word and train with it. But I want to address something here just in, our, in the moments we have left with a barrier sometimes that stops us from studying God's word. Maybe you weren't here in our Bible class today. We were talking about the discipline of Bible study and why we need to be in that. But I want to tell you something about our minds in hopes that it will help you get into God's word so that you will know God's word and be able to use God's word because it will not have any power if you don't know it. But there's two things about our mind that are really important you need to know. Number one, the mind was designed to help you both survive and thrive in life. That's why the mind has things like the reward center that tell you, hey, that food was good, you should eat again because eating again keeps you alive. The mind is meant to do that. And so... Um, it's designed to help you survive and thrive. And so what that means is you pay attention to most what you believe will help you survive and thrive in life. You listen to it most. You listen and pay attention to the things you believe are actually going to help you. So if right now you don't think this sermon will help you, you're having a hard time paying attention. But if you're sitting here right now saying what he's saying might actually help me this week, your senses will light up. Am I right? Your mind is designed to help you survive and thrive. But number two, you got to know this. Your mind is also designed to save calories. That's why I'm fat. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. See, here's what the mind is doing. The mind knows that information that is not important to my survival and not important to my thriving and joy, there's no point in paying attention to it and because it takes energy to listen, it takes energy to pay attention, it takes energy to think, the mind says, don't waste your energy. Don't do that. You know exactly what I'm talking about, those of you in here that are teachers. You ever try to teach a subject that students aren't interested in? None of you, right? Okay. When you're teaching, maybe, okay, let's go from the student example. You've been in a class you're not interested in? And you're sitting here saying, what does this have to do with my life? What does it have to do with the job I'm going to have? Why do I have to take this class? And it's really hard to pay attention. Or maybe some of you spouses out there, right? Your husband or wife come home and they're telling you a story about their day at work and they're telling you about this coworker and that coworker and you just go into like, <laughs> right? Now, when do you pay attention? When your survival is on the line. Am I right? When, when wife goes, hey, this matters. Pay attention. You're like, oh, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Your mind engages when you know it's about your survival and your thriving. I think you know where we're going. You see, you're only going to really get into the Word of God when you are convinced that your survival's at stake and your ultimate joy is available. Everybody in here is running to something to find joy. You're not running to the word of God because you're not yet convinced that it has the source of your joy. That's why. And at this point, we run into the end of our runway with preaching because now we're at your place where you have to decide, do I actually believe that this word has both the power to help me survive the attacks and the ability to launch me into joy and pleasure? Do I believe that? And if I don't, you won't get into it. That's the reality is we won't spend time with God's word until we are convinced it's vital for our survival and joy.
So the word of God has power when you're trained in it. But also, let me finish with this. It has power because of how it's made, how it's made. You see, the gladius was a special kind of sword developed over time. And it became a sword that had two edges or as the Bible would call it, a double edged sword. And as you trace throughout Scripture, you see over and over in the Bible, Scripture is referred to as a double-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 is a great place where you see the, the Word of God is living and active. It's a double-edged sword. It speaks about that. And there's really important things you need to know. Number one, a double-edged sword is always cutting. Always. A single-edged sword has a, a side on it that doesn't cut. But a double-edged sword always is cutting when it's being used. The Word of God is the very same way. It is going to be cutting against the lies of Satan. It will be cutting against the lies that I believe. It will be cutting against the sin that I am hiding. It always is cutting. you got to know that. But the second thing you need to know about this word double-edged is it's kind of a strange word. If you go back into the original language and look at what the word is, it's two words that come together and make one word double-edged. And the two words are this. Two mouths. Two mouths, like these things right here. Those two words come together to make the phrase double-edged. Now that's strange, isn't it? Why? Well, first of all, we know that the Word of God comes from the mouth of God. All Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out from God. But here's what I think the, what the Bible's trying to press on us. That the Word of God that comes from His mouth has ultimate power to destroy the work of the devil in this life. It does. But it will not be powerful in your life until, it's, until it starts coming from your mouth. It's like looking at a beautiful sword that has all the ability and potential to destroy the enemy, but it just sits on the shelf. And until it becomes something that's part of your life, you have it in you, you believe it, and you start using it, it won't make a difference. How do we know that the Word of God really is powerful and effective to defend us and defeat Satan? How do we know that? Well, we know it because the Word of God is more than just letters and syllables. It's more than just sounds and written word on a piece of paper. The Word of God is actually a being. You see, before Jesus ever became Jesus, before the Son of God ever came into the earth, it says that He was the Word. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And then he says in verse 14, The Word became flesh. I know it's hard to think about, but Jesus, the Son, is the living, breathing demonstration of the Word of God. He is the expression of God's will. And in the life of Jesus, you see God clearly. You see God say, I'll go to the ends of the earth to love you, to serve you, to save you. Jesus spoke about this love. He sang about this love. He cried over those who wouldn't come to him about this love. He was constantly talking about this love. And then he comes to the end of his life. And the word of God stops talking. Standing in front of Pilate. Pilate's amazed and trembling because all of a sudden Jesus won't talk. They're accusing him. They're condemning him. They're trying to bring charges against him. And Jesus stands there and he's silent. Why is he silent? Because if the word of God would have spoken that moment, it would have cut through the lies of those men. And Jesus would not have been crucified. The word of God was silent for a moment to allow the hands of sinful people to crucify our Lord so that you and I can now be saved. That's how I know the word of God is powerful. 
In his silence we are saved, but now we can listen to his word, believe his word, come to him, and let his word find a home in us so that we can use the sword and have victory over Satan. If you need help, you can come as we stand and sing.